to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster preparedness, crisis management, business continuity, resiliency, uh, COVID-19, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if there is something you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please go to the Voice America page for um, Preparing for the Unexpected. And underneath the graphic, there is a button uh, that allows you to send me an email. I do get all emails, and I do respond to uh, everything I get. If you want to promote a product or service on the show, um, either speaking or uh, advertising, please reach me the same way, and I can send you some information on that. A reminder uh, to everybody who might be participating and listening in on BCI World, uh, the virtual conference, November 5th and 6th. I will be presenting uh, at that conference. Um, I believe I'm speaking on November 5th, so hopefully you can listen in to that. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road uh, for their product, Boast Assessment, which is an application you can answer a bunch of questions and find out where you need to focus your resources for your business continuity programs, you know, where your plans might be lacking, uh, things to uh, consider. So thanks to everyone at Stone Road. Now, to today's show. Today's show, um, first of all, as you know, I'm an avid reader. I've said it many times, and I love to read. And today's uh, topic, we're actually kind of be covering two things that I've wanted to talk about on the show for quite some time. I came across a book, and uh, I read the, the title, and I'll, I'll give that in a moment. Um, but the comments were saying that, hey, this book is really good. It's not just for who the book says it's for. It's uh, you know full of uh, great information. So I, I got the book. I went through it and went, this is perfect. I want to speak to this author. So joining me from Serbia today is the author of Disaster Preparedness for Women. And I'd like to welcome to the show, Diane Vukovic. Diane, Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, could you kind of uh, give us a little bit of a bio on yourself, you know, things you've done and how you got into what you do? Well, I'm originally from upstate New York, uh, from a very outdoorsy family. I grew up going backpacking and camping with my dad. I think I started carrying my own pack up mountains when I was six years old. We did a lot of orienteering, if you know what that sport is. Mm-hmm. Going through the woods with a map and a compass, trying to get to places in the fastest amount of time. I make forts and shelters in the woods in my backyard all day long. Uh, I'm also an avid traveler. Been to like 34 countries on five continents, including a lot of poor countries where they don't necessarily have running water or stable electricity. And I really like the Balkans, so I decided to move to Serbia about 10 years ago. And flash forward some time, I've got two children, and I started taking them camping and backpacking as well. And that's what really got me into prepping because I was going out into the wilderness with my daughter hours away from civilization. And it dawned on me, 
that I was completely responsible for her if something went wrong and that there'd be no help available. Mm -hmm. So I started learning about things like wilderness survival and first aid, and that eventually got me into other areas of prepping. Well, that's, uh, and is that how the book came about, you know, disaster preparedness uh, for for women? Because as I mentioned at the, the beginning of the show, um, some of the comments about the book were saying, even though it's got four women in the title, it's really knowledgeable for just about anybody. You know, it, there's a couple of specific spots, obviously, but um, it, it's really uh, quite full of great ideas for people in general. Is that how the book came about? Well, the book is more focused on what you traditionally consider a disaster, like hurricanes and earthquakes. But a lot of those same disaster preparedness techniques can also be applied to many other areas. You know, even things like doing a job interview, there's tricks that uh, will help you be ready for those situations, uh, even for being prepared for stressful days and being able to cope with that better. Those same skills translate into preparing for disasters and actually acting appropriately if a disaster does occur. Now, you mentioned the the word prepper, and I, I let's face it, when we hear that word, we're thinking of, you know, the walking dead, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what really is a prepper to you? A prepper what is, is not? someone who recognizes that bad things can happen and wants to take reasonable measures to be ready for them. And interestingly, I find that there's a lot of crossover with prepping and other groups that we don't necessarily consider to be preppers. Like, for example, there's a huge urban gardening and backyard chicken movement going on right now. And that is mm -hmm. right in line with preppers. Same with uh, hippies, who basically started the off-grid movement. That's also prepping. If you've got an off-grid system, you're ready for a large-scale power outage, for example. So. I think my favorite example of kind of these crossover of people who are preppers without realizing them is uh, when I was in college, I was hanging out with a lot of uh, anarchist punk type groups that were squatting abandoned buildings. Well, squatting meant that they had to figure out things like compost toilets, generators, solar power, uh, making food out of dumpster diving. I think a lot of these people would do much better than the standard preppers if a large-scale disaster did happen, but they're not considered preppers. Well, Hollywood would have us believe that a, a prepper is, you know, kind of a psychotic person with a machine gun buried in a bunker. But you don't, you don't speak like that in your book. <laughs> no. Uh, I think a big problem is reality TV. There's the show Doomsday Preppers, which they showed a lot of extreme people who are going very overboard and not necessarily being logical in the way that they approach preparedness as part of their everyday life. You know, like people spending their money in bunkers and ammo instead of taking a vacation or people who are moving away into the wilderness uh, and forsaking social lives. So there's also the survivalist reality TVs didn't help either, like Bear Grylls doing things like drinking urine, uh, eating raw meat without cooking it first. There's an episode where he's like swinging over a gorge on a vine. It's mm -hmm. none of those things are smart to do in a real survival situation. So based on that, what gave you the idea to write disaster preparedness specifically for women? 
what was missing? What 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 did you find? You, you information you know that wasn't available somewhere else. Well, I've been writing uh, for a website called PrimalSurvivor.net for over five years now, which means that I spend a lot of time on prepper websites, reading prepper books, and a lot of groups and forums. And I got really sick of the machismo in these groups. A lot of times you'll hear mm-hmm. comments that women are extra baggage that need to be protected. Uh, when women try to contribute ideas, they're often dismissed. It's not just women. A lot of times minority groups are also dismissed and not welcome in the groups. And I also had a big issue with the very narrow view of prepping that is presented in most prepping uh, communities. Uh, Most people are prepping for doomsday or the the end of the world as we know it, but they're not necessarily prepping for a short-term emergency like a blizzard, which is not necessarily... If you're not prepared for a blizzard, how are you supposed to get prepared for the end of the world? It's a bit overwhelming. Another thing you'll see in these prepper communities, which drives Mm -hmm. me crazy, is what I like to call the lone wolf approach to prepping, which Mm -hmm. is each person for himself. So the idea that you've got to be ready to flee into the wilderness at the first sign of disaster and live off of your wits and shoot anybody who comes around. Uh, I've even heard men in the prepping forum say things that they don't need to stockpile food because they're stockpiling weapons because they could just go and shoot somebody and take whatever they need. So I know that most people, and especially women, don't feel comfortable in this prepping world. And it's also not realistic for a lot of people. For example, I'm not going to be bugging out into the wilderness with a newborn. So I decided to write a book for people who want to be prepared, but to take a more level-headed approach to it. And without all the politics and macho rhetoric. So. There's also some very specific advice for women in the book, which tends to get overlooked, like how to deal with your periods, uh, how to deal with contraception and rape, which are very real issues that women have to face, unfortunately, in disaster times. And, and those were some of the, the sections that I mentioned uh, in, in my opening that you know, specifically address women. But everything else you said um, outside of those really makes sense in general for everybody, you know, preparing for a storm. You know, if you've got, like I do here, you know, if I've got a couple of jugs of water extra, you know, that doesn't make me uh, someone who's, um, you know, afraid of a nuclear apocalypse. I'm just prepared for a winter storm in case my pipes freeze or something. Exactly. It's kind of, you know, being logically prepared. Yeah, and statistically, these things happen and they happen quite frequently. And, you know, hopefully people don't have to learn the hard way to stockpile the basics. Right now, FEMA recommends having a minimum of two weeks of supplies at home, which is an update from their previous recommendation of just having three days. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the future they update that recommendation to be at least a month worth of supplies. I I was just curious, any any idea why they increased that from three days to uh, two weeks? Experience. Uh, There's Mm. been numerous hurricanes over the past several years, and they haven't been able to organize quickly enough to get supplies to everybody. 
So even a lot of the evacuation shelters don't necessarily have supplies on hand and don't get them right away. So if you're just have three days worth of food and water at your home, it might not be enough. Not to mention all the things that you might need, the, you know, for heating your home, going to the bathroom, hygiene, medicines. Well, with COVID-19, that's also going to add other challenges because I've heard uh, shelters, you know, they, in some places there's more of them, but they have to spread people out, you know, because the the fear of people catching, you know, coronavirus. Yeah, now we have a unique situation of two separate disasters happening at once, uh, hurricanes Mm -hmm. and wildfires right now, uh, (laughs) along with uh, COVID. Now... So that's um, that kind of touches on one of the things we were going to talk about, like disaster mitigation. What what kind of disaster should we consider? I know you mentioned you know uh, snowstorms, you know, um, but what kind of things should we consider if um, you know at home? I mentioned I have water here in case you know my pipes freeze or something because I'm in Canada, of course. So, but what kind of disasters uh, should we do, and what kind of things should we consider? The first step is to do some research about the area that you live in and see which disasters are most likely to hit. So, I mean, if you're in the uh, southeast United States, obviously that's going to be hurricanes. You, know, you have tornadoes, earthquakes, power outages are common everywhere, and flooding is becoming increasingly more uh, common. And once you kind of make this list of disasters that are most likely in your area, you can start doing some research and making a plan for getting reasonably prepared. And that plan should focus on three things. The first is the things you can do before the emergency happens, uh, the things you do while it's actually happening, and any steps that you would need to take after the emergency occurs. For example, with earthquakes, beforehand, you can do things to earthquake-proof your home, like not hanging heavy items over top of your bed. During the actual earthquake, knowing what position to take. And afterwards, knowing the steps, like uh, after an earthquake, you should put on boots and work gloves if there's damage, so you don't step on glass. And in case there's an aftershock that you're ready with your boots on. You knowing how to check your utilities to make sure that they're okay, and if you suspect a gas leak, that you turn the gas off, and knowing how to perform basic first aid if somebody got injured. So that would be just one example of kind of making an outline of a plan for how you can be prepared. You know, you know, lis- listening to you, some of that sounds so simple, yet really, I don't think a lot of people think you know, on that kind of a level. Uh. That is one of my strengths is taking complicated issues and breaking them down into simple steps. And that's one of the things I did with the book. I broke down complete disaster preparedness into 52 steps, starting with, you know, the plans, making space in your home. That's a big step that people forget to start stockpiling a lot of items and then don't have anywhere to put it. And then going through all of the essentials. Uh, from getting items, storing them, mental preparedness, self-protection. So it's it's really not that complicated. 
so long as you start with a plan. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment because we, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we are talking with Diane Vukovic, the author of Disaster Preparedness for Women. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking with Diane Vukovic, the author of Disaster Preparedness for Women. Diane, lots of great information in the first segment. Thank you. Um, Let's say some of our listeners are out there, you know, thinking, okay, well, then what do I need to do to get started? You know, what, how do I plan? What, what do I need? What kind of things do I need to consider? All right. Well, the first thing I'd say is don't just rush out and buy a lot of things before you've made a plan, which includes lists of what you want to buy. Because I find a lot of people will read articles about 
earthquakes, solar flares, whatever. And then out of fear, start buying a lot of random supplies. So Mm -hmm. fear-based buying doesn't work and you lose momentum really quickly. Uh, Regardless of what disaster you're preparing for, I find that you can break down everything into seven main categories. And it's really important that you cover all of the categories. Uh, For example, the first category is food and water. That's the one that most people really like to focus on and have huge stockpiles of beans, rice, uh, you know, freeze-dried meals. And that's great, except if your electricity's out, how are you going to cook all of those beans and rice that you stockpiled? So the next category would be cooking. So having some sort of stove that you can use when the power is out, Uh, you know, like a bottle of propane with a little stove that you can attach to it. Or if you live somewhere where it makes sense to cook outdoors, you can even have an outdoor cooking stove. The third category is heating and warmth, or depending on where you live, it could even mean cooling. So having things like sleeping bags, of a little portable heater that you can use, wood for your fireplace, or if you have a wood-burning stove. Actually, when I was a child, there was a huge blizzard in upstate New York. We had like, you know, five feet of snow and power out for about two or three weeks. But I actually really enjoyed that time because my whole family kind of came together in one room. We had enough wood for the fire, uh, had a generator. And so I look back at that as a nice time. But if we didn't have a way to heat the house, we would, I might have been traumatized by that experience. Mm-hmm. The, fourth category, <laughs> the fourth category is power. So on a basic level, that's having flashlights and batteries stored for, you know, power goes out in almost all sorts of disaster situations on uh, next level, having something like a solar panel or even a hand crank generator or an actual generator. For example, if you have like medical devices that need to stay powered, uh, keeping your phones powered. The fifth category is health and hygiene. And with the pandemic, we saw a lot of this, the shortages of hand sanitizer and N95 masks. And I'd like to add that the N95 masks aren't just for pandemics. In, for example, a hurricane situation where there's a lot of damage, it unearths a lot of asbestos. So that was a huge problem in New Jersey uh, when they were hit by earthquakes and people were going to clean up and they didn't have masks to wear. So they're exposing themselves to harmful chemicals. So you need to have those masks there and possibly even goggles to keep yourself safe, as well as a first aid kit so you can handle basic, if not more severe injuries at home. Mm -hmm. The sixth category is evacuation supplies. Every single thing you need to be able to leave at a moment's notice. And the final category is personal safety, which is weapons, self-defense training, uh, things like being able to board up your windows if you have to leave. So your house is less likely to be burglarized. And that's it. Seven categories, and it covers all aspects of disaster prepping. Now, there's there's a couple that I, I kind of want to 
want us to zero in on. And um, when we were chatting before, back and forth, uh, you mentioned mentioned that mental preparation is a, a big, big piece. Can you talk a little bit more about mental preparation? Uh, you know, for for this kind of thing. Yes, uh, by mental preparedness, <laughs> I mean being able to deal with obstacles as they come and to adapt to them. So, simply put, it's about not freaking out or freezing up. So, it's very important because a plan is useless if you aren't in the mental state to act on it. And we actually do a lot of mental preparedness training. Uh, For example, uh, in schools, we have fire drills. That's a form of mental preparedness. So that way, when the alarm rings, all the children know to line up and to leave the building calmly. And unfortunately, the preparedness kind of stops after school. I very few businesses actually do fire drills for their employees. Nevertheless, hurricane drills, tornado drills, earthquakes, it doesn't happen. Uh, so this is any sort of drills that you can practice in your everyday life will do wonders for preparing for emergencies. Uh, well, I know my last, um, my last contract they the facility did do uh, fire drills, but I'll be honest, most of the people within the building just went, oh, here we go, and you know didn't really pay attention to where they should go. They just kind of followed, oh, everyone's heading that direction, fine, I'll just go there, you know, and then just waited till paid attention to what was going on. Yeah. Well, at least they left, so <laughs> that's yeah. something. But yeah. uh, it's ah. Uh, it's sad how little effort we take to prepare for these uh, emergencies, which actually do happen quite frequently. And even if we're told what to do, how quickly we forget it. Like if you go to YouTube and type in earthquake footage, you'll see the ground starts trembling. You know, it's everything swaying there. And the people are just standing there clueless with what to do. Nobody's ducking, nobody's taking cover, nobody's getting out from underneath the power lines. And these are the things that we really need to practice so that it's ingrained in our muscle memory and we can do it without thinking. But there's some things though that realistically we're not gonna do drills for. Uh, And for those situations, uh, there's a different type of mental preparedness technique that's great. It's called emergency conditioning. It's actually what the military uses to get uh, soldiers ready for combat. And it basically involves imagining a disaster in extreme detail. So you're imagining uh, what it would look like around you, how it would smell if there was, for example, a fire approaching how you would feel with your heart racing from the adrenaline. And you go through it, you know, close your eyes and imagine yourself going through the disaster. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of how I use this recently, luckily, which I didn't actually have to use. But uh, here in Serbia, at the start of the pandemic, every single person that got confirmed diagnosis of corona was being sent to one of those impromptu hospitals that Mm -hmm. were pretty scary looking. And me as an adult, I like to think that I would handle that fairly well. 
but my older daughter is 10 years old. And that could be very scary for her. All of a sudden, you know, going to the doctor's office, getting a test, and then being rushed off to some weird building with a bunch of people in what looks like hazmat suits, completely covered, and people around you coughing, you know, the lack of privacy, the the wool blankets that are rough to the touch. So to get my daughter prepared for that possibility, we looked at photos of the different types of hospitals. Mm. We talked over what the doctors would be wearing, what the schedule would be like there, how it would smell terrible probably, how we'd be standing in line for the bathrooms and to be washing our hands, the bad food. And an interesting thing about the mental preparation process when you do this emergency conditioning is as you're going through the steps of imagining what would happen in that scenario, uh, you're actually realizing like any holes that are in your plan. So uh, for example, as my daughter and I were going over, this is what it would be like in this hospital. Okay, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, we should maybe bring some earplugs and eye masks so that way we can sleep better without having to the, have the fluorescent lights blaring at us and listening to people around us cough. Uh, it's going to be boring in there, and there's a limited amount of electrical sockets. Let's pack a splitter for the, you know, one of those electrical splitters in the emergency yeah. case, so that way we can keep our phones plugged in and not have to fight with whoever's sharing the room with us over the limited electrical sockets. And we actually have a much better plan. And had we needed to go to the hospital there, it wouldn't have been so traumatic because our brains would have already gone through the process uh, when we imagined it. So, so it, it, it seems um, by you talking with your daughter using that example, uh, before things happen, commu- one, communication, you know, talking with people saying this is what what could happen, you know, the potential what ifs and, you know, the ramifications of that. And also um, letting people, you know, I'm sure your daughter asked you questions, right? Yes. Yeah. So she's able to ask questions back to you. You know, I I find with many organizations uh, and communities, sometimes they don't want to talk about things because they're too afraid of upsetting people. And we were actually even seeing that in the headlines lately with COVID-19. People don't want to talk about things because they don't want to scare people. But by us not knowing, wouldn't that just scare us more? Exactly. And if we do find ourselves in that situation, it's not only do we not know what to do, uh, but we're less likely to make good decisions. Mm, yeah. and, you know, or if you do know what to do, you're more likely to freeze up. Like I said, it's, if you haven't done a fire drill and you've only read that if you hear the alarm gum, you should quickly walk out. If you haven't done the fire drill, when you hear it, you might just continue sitting there. Or you might freak out and start running out the door. You might take the elevator instead of the steps. That's why we need to do drills. And if you can't do the drill, you do the emergency conditioning tactics to kind of put yourself through it so you can react properly without even having to think and not freak out. It, this uh, method is actually great for a lot of things in everyday life. Like if you have to do a job interview, you imagine an 
what it's going to be like sitting there with the people, what questions they're going to ask you. And then you're going to be less likely to freeze up in that stressful situation because you've gone through it in your mind, if not practiced it out loud with a partner. And and I think that's a key key point there too, because in the business continuity industry or disaster planning, or emergency management, whatever you want to call those areas, they have to practice their plans and get people knowledgeable of what to happen because they know if they don't, then some of the examples you just gave, people freezing or or panicking, can cause more problems than what you actually have occurring to start with. Yes, exactly. So it's there's a lot of ways you can practice this in your everyday life and apply it and with business, but really to kind of break down all of the bad things that can happen. And it doesn't make you a negative thinker. I know our Western culture really prizes positive thinking and even bringing up the possibility that something bad can happen is considered bad. And my husband's like this. He really doesn't like thinking about all the bad things that can happen. And it only took, uh, we had some bad flooding here and an earthquake, a mild one, luckily, and now Corona. And it's like, okay, we're, we're going to sit here and go through all of the bad things that can happen and what we would do in these scenarios. And afterwards, you know, you feel more relaxed. It's scary bringing up all these things, but really, if you're scared, it probably means that you're not prepared for it. Well, it's kind of like those old um, G.I. Joe cartoons, you know, knowing is half the battle. You know? okay, I definitely did not watch G.I. Joe cartoons. But <laughs> I, well, you know, I, I, I saw Okay, but you got to <laughs> take it one step. Knowing is part of the battle, but knowing and not acting on what you know is your, you've got to take some steps to be prepared. So yeah. not just mentally. Once you've gone through the mental conditioning, aware that something bad can happen and seeing all the things that can go wrong, the next step is to really, what can you do to prevent that or when it does happen to make it so the situation doesn't come out as bad. So had we had, if we ended up getting Corona, which we haven't yet, luckily, and had gone to the terrible hospital, you know, at least we would have been comfortable. We had a, a special Corona bag packed for that, you know, with, you know, the earplugs, the splitter. Uh, I even put a little tiny tent in there. So we could have some privacy if we wanted to, these sort of things. Well, it's, we're going to talk about that part in the next section, um, what we call, what you call the go bag. We're going to talk about that uh, in our next segment. So we're going to end uh, our second segment. We are talking today with the author of Disaster Preparedness for Women, Diane Vukovic, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. 
And if there's time in each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We are talking with Diane Vukovic, the author of Disaster Preparedness for Women. Diane, again, another great segment uh, in segment two there. A lot of what you said, and I happened to just mention it um, during the break here uh, to you, is um, there's a lot of risk management and risk mitigation in what you're saying. And that's exactly um, what happens in uh, you know my business continuity management disaster planning area. And it's interesting how the two never get together. And as you said during the break, it's... Uh, you know, people tend to see prepping as, you know, like that stereotypical Hollywood apocalyptic type type of view. So I'm really finding what you're saying very interesting. And, you know, uh, I'm enjoying this uh, quite a bit. Um, now, let's jump to what what happens when we have to flee? What What do we do? What should we consider and what should we have ready for us? All right. The first thing I want to say about that is that it is very hard to think rationally when you are in the midst of a disaster. So ideally, you should make a set of rules before the disaster strikes. And these rules will be, for example, uh, in what conditions will you evacuate? Uh, And you need to have several sets of rules based on different scenarios. Uh, For example, is your entire family going to evacuate together or will one family member stay at home and lock up while the others evacuate with, you know, the kids and grandma? Will you finish the work week if it's not an immediate disaster? Uh, A lot of people, 
their employers actually don't let them evacuate early. So are you willing to risk losing your job if your employer says that you're not allowed to evacuate? These are kind of the individual things that you need to ask yourself. So that way, when there's the hurricane warning in place or whatever the situation is, that you've made the plan ahead of time. And so there's no questioning it. You're not acting on emotions. So you know exactly what you're going to do in which situation and stick to those rules. Mm -hmm. Now, you also talk about in your book, a go bag. What is that and what should it contain? Ah, the go bag, the idea behind it is that it contains everything you need to survive for at least three days until you can get to safety. In the prepping community, they usually talk about a go bag, or as they call it, a bug out bag, as things that you need to survive in the wilderness for three days. And in some cases, depending on where you live, that might be completely legit. But for a lot of people, uh, evacuating might just mean driving your car to a relative's house who lives further away, you know, or if it's a larger scale disaster, it might mean, you know, three days of driving or a really long bus ride to get to a different property you own or other family. So everybody's go bag is going to look a little bit different based on what disasters you're preparing for, where you're planning on going and how far away it is. Are there any things that, you know, we should, how do I put this, that sometimes we forget about, put it that way, with when it comes to, you know, evacuating, you know, that people often forget about these three things or, you know, any, anything, any suggestions? Well, when making your go plan, your evacuation plan, first thing you guys should think about is where you're going to go. That sounds obvious, but a lot of people don't actually think about it. You know, if there's a hurricane versus a large-scale grid outage, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to an evacuation shelter locally? The second thing, how are you going to get there? And mm. do you have a backup plan? Because roads often become inaccessible. If you're planning on flying out of a disaster zone to get to family's house or whatever, that might not be possible because flights get booked really quickly. Third thing, how are you going to pay for it? Uh, for hurricanes, I read that the average cost of evacuation is $1,000, which is, wow. yeah. Uh, and especially when you start calculating like lost work time, uh, nights in hotels, and we're not even talking about actual damage that might be done and if you can't return home. So you've really got to consider how you pay for it. Uh, a big thing that people don't think about also is how they're going to get in contact with family members. You know, mobile phones often aren't working when there's a disaster because of call overload. So do you have a backup plan about how you would get in contact with people? And if you're sitting around at home waiting for a family member to come before you leave, you're losing valuable time, you know, and your family mm -hmm. member might be stuck somewhere. They might already be in safety. Uh, and then finally, you know, you have the things that you actually need to bring and the things that you should pack in your go bag. Well, I'm happy to say I have a go bag <laughs> in, in my closet right beside the extra water in case something happens. You know, I have to leave. There's, there's first aid stuff in there, you know, uh, medicine, which gets rotated, you know, that I have to take. So, you know, I am like to think I'm prepared. <laughs> Fingers crossed. 
Yeah. Now, I kind of, um, go ahead. Sorry. That, uh, for the items in the go bag, again, I'm, I'm a big list person. So I've divided these into kind of eight main categories and the one being food and water, you know, some bottled water and non-perishable food. I've also got a water purification system in my go bag. Got to have appropriate clothing. Uh, for example, if you're in a flood area, having some waterproof boots next to your go bag is a great thing to have. So you don't have to be walking through nasty sewage water, hygiene mm -hmm. items, you know, toothbrushes, toilet paper, wet wipes, uh, menstrual cup, if you're a woman or tampons, whatever, your health items. Again, the N95 masks are great. Uh, even wildfires now, you would want to include some goggles in your go bag so your eyes aren't being singed while fleeing. Uh, mm -hmm. Fifth category, shelter and warmth. You know, kind of a, I've got a lightweight tent and some sleeping bags and sleeping pads in my go bag. Uh, you know, some survivals, just bring a tarp. That's, even if you end up going to an emergency shelter, having those sleeping bags and pads are really nice. They often don't have, uh, any sort of blankets for everyone there. Uh, yeah. The sixth category, communication, having some sort of emergency radio so you can stay in touch with the news, your phone, a spare charger, power banks, a little solar panel. A big thing that people forget and is actually honestly a pain in the butt to compile, but all of your documents, uh, copies of your IDs, your insurance policies, uh, your bank account numbers. Uh, for example, after Hurricane Katrina, there were so many scammers that they started requiring ID for some people to get help. And a lot of people also had problems receiving money from family members through Western Union or whatever because they didn't have their IDs with them. So it's good to have maybe even some originals, but copies of your documents on a USB and also keeping them in the cloud, make your life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. later on. And then the final category is those random tools and gear that you might need, like a waterproof sack, self-defense items, duct tape's always useful, rope, like if you want to make a clothesline, cash and small bills, flashlight, all these kind of random items that you might need, depending on your disaster. Well, I'm glad to say that my bag has all of those things, except for the wet boots. I don't have those. But I've got winter boots. <laughs> Being oh, yeah. in Canada, that's why. How much you're getting in your area? <laughs> I live in um, an area that sometimes floods, and uh, uh, I see those photos of people evacuating, like up in knee-height water. Oh, so disgusting! There's so much nasty sewage and chemicals and everything in that water. So, yeah, if you really live somewhere that's going to be hit by hurricanes you got to get yourself one of those like fisherman overalls, uh, like that's a complete oh, dress. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do not want to be walking through sewage. It's actually <laughs> after hurricanes, the biggest, one of the biggest problems people have are like skin rashes and diarrheal diseases because of contact with all of the sewage and water. Yeah. No one likes well, talking about that, but yeah, no, that's actually no, the biggest no. risk after a hurricane is diarrhea and rashes. So. Yeah. You know, they, they, it, and maybe that's why no one, so many people end up suffering because no one talks about it. Yeah. Uh, it's not a yeah. sexy topic like yeah. solar panels. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
Now, um, we've only got half our segment left, but I'd, I, w- I want to touch on something specifically um, in, in your book, and that's the situational awareness rape prevention. Can you speak to that? Okay, well, this is something that's very personal to me because I've been sexually assaulted three times in my life, once when I was eight years old from a family friend, again, when I was 14 from a work colleague, and uh, about a decade ago while traveling had to fight off a guy. So yes, unfortunately, this is something that affects a lot of women. I mean, of course, men get raped and assaulted too, but I think we can all agree that this is something that disproportionately affects women. But Mm -hmm. depending on the statistics, it's like one in three to one in five women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. How, what, what should women do to, um, uh, I forget to, uh, I, I guess I'll just use the situational awareness, you know, how can they overcome some of this? Okay. Well, traditionally rape prevention and self-defense goes into one of two categories and neither of these are good options. The first option is learning how to fight. And yes, that's useful, knowing how to kick someone in the groin or, you know, where to hit them in the shins or nose. That's great. But not all women are physically able to put up a fight. Uh, I took a Krav Maga class with one woman who had a brittle bone disease. She realistically is not going to be fighting off any large attacker. You know, it's she would be seriously injured by putting up any sort of fight. So and even me, I've had some self-defense training, a lot of that's going to be useless against an armed or very strong or skilled attacker. So that's not a good option. Mm-hmm. The second thing that's usually recommended is uh, rules to follow. And all of these rules start with never, like never walk alone at night, never get drunk at parties, and never wear revealing clothing or never talk to strangers. I personally have a huge issue with these rules for women that we're supposed to follow, mainly because it puts the burden on us as women to not get raped when it should be men's burden not to rape women. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it breeds a culture of fear where a lot of women avoid doing activities because they're too scared. Like I've been asked countless times whether I was scared to travel or to go backpacking as a woman alone. And men do not get asked these questions. They get asked how the trip was. They don't get asked, you know, were they scared? So these two approaches don't work. Uh, Here's what I say does work. It's for starters, acknowledging that the vast majority of rapes occur by people we know, which was my case uh, in two out of the three situations. With the third one too, it was a bad date uh, and shattered his ego and I got attacked because of it. So, you know, it's not strangers Mm -hmm. lurking out of dark alleys attacking women. It's usually people like our bosses or colleagues or sadly even family members. So we really need to address that if we want to not get raped. And unfortunately, women are told from childhood 
that they need to be polite. And, you know, I'm not sure how much you're aware of this as a man, but <laughs> uh, women will relate with, uh, to the need to put other people's feelings and needs over our own. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. Uh, we'll often do things that we don't want to because it's easier than making a big deal out of it. And that's why we have situations where women are being touched inappropriately at work, but they don't say anything. They're telling themselves in their heads, this is probably a misunderstanding and I don't want to embarrass him by asking him to stop. Never mind right. the fact that they feel really uncomfortable. They're too worried about embarrassing the man who's putting their hand, his hand on their shoulders and up their legs. So. Well, <sighs> we, we, I know this is tough for you to talk about and, um, you know, but I, I really do appreciate you sharing, you know, that personal story and talking to us about that. We've, we've only got a, a minute or so left. Do you have any closing comments um, that uh, you'd like to make? Uh, on the terms of, not getting raped and say that women should really learn to stop being so polite that most rapes start with crossing boundaries in small ways that don't seem like they're big deals. But if you let one boundary be crossed and you don't say no, then another one's going to happen. And the next, and the next thing, you know, you're being attacked and you still are saying no. So oh. you've really got to overcome these social cues and you don't have to be polite. No. Practice well, saying no in your everyday life. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show, Diane. Thank you, first of all, for sharing your personal story. I, I know that can't be easy, but thank you very much. And congratulations on your book, Disaster Preparedness for Women. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.